Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Who are you? Let me just ask you that again. Who are you? towards those goals is to feel the way you want to feel. The external things we want to have and do and experience, those are your secondary goals, all of which will get you back to the whole cosmic point, experiencing your core desired feelings.
here's the diamond of it all. Knowing how you actually want to feel is the most potent form of clarity that you can have. And generating those feelings is the most powerfully creative thing that you can do with your life. It is your birthright to have your desires fulfilled. Every desire is a prayer. Desire is the underpinning of manifestation. and 
just gave God or give the self or gave your family thanks? I hope you did. And I want to talk about this power of gratitude because I think it's really important. And I'm so excited to welcome our guest, the Reverend Galen Gungrich. I hope I got that right. Is the senior minister of All Souls Unitarian Church. It's a historic congregation on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, and he's graduated from Princeton Theological Seminary, earned a Ph.D. in theology from the University of Chicago. His sermon at All Souls on the Sunday after 9-11, entitled The Shaking of Foundations, was selected as one of the seven responses to 9-11, along with the speeches by President Bush, Governor Pataki, for Representative American Speeches, 2001 and 2002. Now, he is a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, and he is also the author of God Revised, How Religion Must Evolve in a Scientific Age, and his new book, The Way of Gratitude, A New Spirituality for Today, is what we'll be talking about. Today gives me great privilege to welcome Reverend Galen Gungarik to the America Meditating Radio. Please tell me how bad I did with your last name. <laughs> Sister Jenny, you did brilliantly. I actually try not to use my last name because it's hard for me to pronounce as well. But I usually <laughs> just people not look at it because it's easier to pronounce if you don't look at it. It's Gingrich. Gingrich. Well, I would have never thought that. Gingrich. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, and I hope you're doing well and the family and everyone is fine. Everyone is fine, thank you. And we're doing well the congregation has suffered some significant losses. We're right in the middle of New York City, but it's been a real opportunity for us to unite in spirit, even though we can't get together in person, supporting each other through digital means. And it's been a real learning and growing experience for all of us. And I think we are stronger individually and as a community as a result. Reverend Galen, tell me how it felt when you knew about the virus, and you also knew you're going to have to close church down. And what was happening in your heart when you felt at a time of a crisis your doors had to be closed? That's a good question, Sister Jenna. And I think the answer is this is something that I've been thinking about for a long time. After 9-11, I had a conversation with some people who deal with emergency preparedness in the city, some of whom were members of my congregation. And I asked them, I said, so what do I need to do to prepare? And, you know, if the church becomes sort of a center for kind of the community, and they said, that's not what you should prepare for. You should prepare for some event happening that prohibits anyone from gathering in public. And so hmm. that was, uh, was that? 20 years ago. You're kidding. Wow. My wife is a physician. She's on the faculty at CUNY Medical School. So I think I had a sense that something like this probably would come our way at some point. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've been doing over the past 15 years with the leaders of my congregation is trying to build strong community and a strong support network. So if and when something like this happened, we would be prepared. And I think it was with a deep sense of sorrow that I 
recognized that the time had come. No one wanted this to come. But it was also with a sense of, I guess, relief is kind of the word, that we had done the work we needed to do to remain strong for ourselves and each other during this time. To me, that's the point of spiritual practice, is to build our spiritual and emotional strength so that when tough times come our way, which they inevitably will, we have the resilience to bear up. You know, we had a national and then an international call. And it's not really hard, but it requires some patience when you're navigating 9,000 branches. When we decided that it was to our best interest and all the visitors that visited our spaces to their best interest that we close until further notice, the first immediate thing was, well, what have I been doing if I'm not available for people when they're in crisis? And I remembered when that emotion came over me. It wasn't emotion flattened me down, but it was more an emotion like there must be another way that we are to serve. And that thought just came over me like after a while, not thinking about Zoom, I'm not thinking about online. We already had all those things set up. But I had not known that it would have been this consistent, you know, everything that I did on a personal level and with the students, that we would be continuing what we were doing before, but now it would be more through Internet. A very interesting realization. But also the sense that this is such a powerful signal that is change. Right. I mean, I had no idea when I started writing this book several years ago that it would be published literally in the middle of this global pandemic. But it does serve to illustrate the central message of the book, which is that because everything in the universe is made up of relationships, relationships matter more than anything. And by relationships, I'm not talking just about relationships between and among human beings. If you take the physical elements in the natural world, the elementary particles, and you squish them all together, you'd literally have a handful of material. It's hard to believe, but it's true. Everything else is relationships. In the natural world, between and among people, with our own bodies and minds and hearts and spirits. So the central theme of the book is because everything is made of relationships, we need to become aware of the relationships on which we depend with the natural world, with other people, with our own minds and hearts, and how much other people and the natural world rely on us. And those relationships need to be reciprocal. They need to be good for us, and they need to be good for the people in the world around us. So I think, ironically, this crisis has illustrated how much we are connected to each other and how much we are all in this together. Yes, and I'm not quite sure why it has taken such a large amount of our civilization to not even realize that we were always connected. It took a pandemic to have us realize the frailty of our civilization? Well, that's a good question, Sister Jenna. And I think 
One of the things that happens to us as we live our lives is that they sort of become narrower and narrower because we just focus on what we have to do, get up in the morning and it's like, okay, got to get up, get dressed, feed the kids, get to work, et cetera, et cetera. And we just kind of do the next thing and we kind of live life on autopilot. And one of the things that both your community and mine have in common is that we have a spiritual practice that is designed to help us open ourselves up beyond these narrow confines of our daily lives, open ourselves up to our own hearts and minds, open ourselves to the people around us, open ourselves to the natural world. And I think this pandemic has helped us see in a new way those connections, the economic connections, the medical connections, the day-to-day connections. How do we get our food? How do we go about our daily lives. We've taken all that for granted. And now we're coming to an awareness of what our lives are like. So tell me a little bit about the book. What can we expect from it? Like what was the real inspiration? You've been writing it for some while now. So how did you reach to the final chapter and what was your experience? I have been writing it for a while, but I had a sense in which this book represents my life work. I grew up in a very traditional religious environment, conservative Mennonite, and everything was kind of given, the world of the Bible, the world of church doctrine, etc. I did what I was told. You know, I went to church three times a week. I read my Bible and prayed every day. I tried to believe what I was supposed to believe. And I realized that that way of living didn't work for me because there was too much happening in the world that that world couldn't account for. So in my mid-20s, I left the Mennonite church. And then an interesting thing started to happen because I realized that I was listening to the culture around me and letting voices in the culture tell me what to read, what to do, what to buy, what to watch. And I'm like, no, wait a minute, the same thing's happening all over again. So I started out on a quest to figure out what I can know for sure about my life and the world, but also how I can live in light of the way the world actually is in a way that would bring me meaning and purpose and joy. And this book is my effort to map a way of living and a spiritual that will open us to what's really true about the world and what's truly real, but that will enable us to live in light of that reality in a way that brings us meaning, purpose, and joy. So I talk about my journey, and I also talk about the importance of spiritual practice. It's a preparation for living life to its fullest and to its deepest and at its most joyful. What's one of your favorite chapters in the book? I think my favorite chapter is the chapter on joy as the ultimate indicator of our spiritual awareness and our spiritual maturity. 
And I talk about the difference between happiness and pleasure and joy. A lot of people, when they describe the meaning of life, they talk about happiness and pleasure. And to me, the experience of joy is the ultimate sign that we are meeting life on its own terms. And joy is not necessarily a sign that pain and suffering are absent, but it's a sign that we're engaged in being the kind of people we need to be and doing the work that we need to do. And I think the experience of joy is such a wonderful indicator that we are meeting life on its own terms, that we are being open to ourselves and other people in the natural world, that we're being honest about who we are and what we want. And it's such a wonderful validation to be able to say, even in the middle of a pandemic, I have experiences of joy that come from connecting with other people, that come from tackling really tough challenges together, even from helping people walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I've spent a lot of time over the past couple of months with people who are dying and people whose loved ones are dying. But there's a sense that this is what the meaning of life is, that we are standing with each other and for each other, even in these most difficult times. I'll tell you this, that it might be quite challenging for some individuals to find a way of gratitude during this particular time, especially if they feel that they've been victimized by maybe the system, the pandemic, their own choices, because in the book you do talk about the way of gratitude, and you're asking us to really go deeper into life's purpose. Could you share, though, for me, to sing gratitude? Gratitude is an actual way of life, or gratitude as a way of life, or are they the same? Well, I think there is a simple aspect of gratitude, which is expressing thanks to people who do things for us. If somebody holds the door open while we have our hands full of packages and we say thank you, that's an expression of gratitude. I sometimes compare it to how we talk about love. We talk about love in a variety of ways. We talk about sensual love. You know, the band Aerosmith has a song called Love in an Elevator. We also talk about the reciprocal love that close friends have for each other or the nurturing love that parents have for their children. And then we talk about divine love, the love that works for the good of others without any expectation in return. And I think gratitude works much the same way. There's a very simple aspect to gratitude saying thank you, but there's also gratitude as a recognition that we rely on the people around us and the natural world for everything. We tend to think of ourselves as independent and self-reliant, but we're not. We need the natural world to sustain us, to sustain our lives, and we need the people around us to help make our lives possible. So I think gratitude recognizes all that we have been given by life. Granted, some of it's terrible, and particularly in this situation, but we owe our lives and our experience to forces beyond ourselves. And 
recognizing that with a deep sense of gratitude and recognize that we owe something back in return. And I think gratitude becomes a way of life when we realize that we are made up of these relationships and that we have a responsibility to the people around us in the natural world to return good even as we have received good and also deal with what's bad both in our own lives and in the lives of people in the world around us. It gives us a deep sense of engagement and a sense of purpose and I think a sense of joy that we are really engaged with meeting life on its own terms. And yes, it becomes a way of life and a spiritual practice, which I outline in the book. Now, there are many Americans who are by themselves and they feel very lonely. How do they practice gratitude when they feel disconnected and isolated and maybe Zoom or Skype or social media just isn't enough to feed the soul? What advice could you offer those particular souls? Well, one of the things that I describe as a part of spiritual practice in the book is that we need to not approach life on our own and kind of grapple with who we are and what life means. And I talk about poetry in the book, and I talk about the way poetry has sustained the spiritual life of communities throughout human history, and that even when we're alone, and maybe especially then, we can engage with other spiritual seekers who have struggled with the very issues we're struggling with. We're not the first people in human history who have faced huge challenges. We're not the first people who have found themselves alone. So I find reaching out to poets in particular, both poetry that has been in the spiritual canons of various faith traditions, but also more contemporary poets who wrestle with some of the same thing. I had a session this morning with members of my congregation looking at the poetry of Ellen Bass, who is a contemporary American poet. She grew up gay in a context that did not embrace that, and she's also a survivor of child sexual abuse, and she's written some nonfiction books on those topics. But she also has wonderful poetry that really grapples with suffering and struggle and how we can emerge with a sense of peace and a sense of connection. So I think it's amazing to think about Zoom in this era. If this had happened 30 years ago, we would be in a much different situation. We would not be able to connect in the ways we're connecting now. But also to engage with the tradition of spiritual writing, poetry and other forms of spiritual writing can be deeply nourishing to us in these times. It's really important because I do know that, like in India, we are comfortable with 20 people in a room, you know, and... 20 people will be having conversations. And for the life of me, I don't know how everybody understands what everyone is saying. It's just the weirdest thing. It's like the Greek culture. And here, we tend to be more space conscious, and we do respect our space very much. And now, not only are we given such space, 
but it's for a long time and we don't really have much of a physical escape. Where does God come in here, Reverend Gavin? Like, where does the role or the energy of God come in here during this particular time? Well, that's a good question, Sister Jenna. And I think people understand the divine in various ways and the role of the divine. I talk about God in my book and how I understand God and my struggle with sort of the traditional views of God that I had growing up and how that doesn't quite work for me anymore, partly because I see so many bad things happening in the world that I just can't reconcile myself with the idea of a God who's directly or indirectly responsible. But I do think that the idea of the divine as the source of creativity and energy and connection and most of all, the source of possibility, that we live in a world where the past is fixed and the present is given, but the future is open. And I think understanding God as the role of creativity and possibility opens us to thinking about our own lives and the potential of our own future in ways that we might not. So the role of the divine is essential in understanding our future as open. And speaking of the Greeks, their notion of fate was sort of like the idea of a plant that always turns toward the window. And you can, of course, rotate the plant so it's facing away from the window, but it will always turn toward the light. And to me, that's the way the divine works in this world. That's the way God kind of allure to increasing light and hope and possibility. It doesn't always happen. You know, people turn the plant away from the window. But there is this gentle persistent invitation that the present always offers us to move forward with hope, with goodness, with a sense of connection and common purpose. And I think the role of spiritual practice is to remind ourselves each day of that larger reality of our lives and that that's really our sense of who we are. That's our purpose. And we shouldn't get distracted by the busyness or mundaneness of everyday life. Yes, I agree with you. I ask that question because I've spoken to some people who have thought that, why is God letting all of this happen? And I said, well, God's not letting it happen. We are letting this happen. And so the question is, are we ready to turn to God to get our own vaccine for the spirit? So when we come out of this, we are such a beautiful version, you know? Yeah, I love yeah, that. Yeah, I think it's so important, Reverend Galvin, because so many people are, again, looking for a quick fix. And the only fix that we can offer ourselves is to change the way we think and behave. Right. I knew you would agree to that because we're on the same page. You know, it perplexes me when individuals don't look at themselves but are consistently blaming something outside of themselves, even God, for what's happening. And 
That's what I like about your book. There's a need for us to turn inwards to pay attention to ourselves and ask, what part did I play in this? Am I responsible to some extent in terms of the energy or the vibrations that we are all experiencing at a global level? And then to see what level inside of our own personality could take a high jump to move towards a better state of being. Why do people go on pilgrimages? Why do they go to church? Why do they listen to you? I want to go to a better state. So did we need a pandemic to help us get there? Well, whether or not we needed a pandemic, it's what we got. And I agree completely with you, Sister Jenna. I think the importance of approaching times like these is to recognize that what we can control is our openness to the realities of the world around us and our response. There are lots of things we can't control. What's past is past. Yes, we should have, as a nation and world, been aware that a pandemic was coming down the pike. People have been predicting it for 30 years. But we didn't prepare. And here we are. The question is, what can we do, what can I do to help support the move of my own spirit, those around me, and the other people in our nation and world toward a clearer sense of how much we have in common, how much we're all in this together, and how much we really need to work to move forward both on this pandemic, but just in general. And I think the voice of spiritual traditions in this time is absolutely critical because it's very easy for people to forget that we're all connected and that we're all in this together. And spirituality is about openness and about an awareness of all of the connections that make up our lives, physical connections with the natural world, emotional connections with ourselves and people we love, and spiritual connections with the spirit of life and with everything. And those connections are absolutely central in this time. And it is our role as spiritual leaders and as spiritual communities to keep those connections front and center. Indeed. So where do you think we're going to go from here? What do you think it's going to be our move in post-COVID? What are you envisioning? Are you getting any experiences, any insights into the future after this? Well, I think one of the things people are realizing is how valuable communities, particularly spiritual communities, are. And Life was going along, I think, for lots of people in sort of the usual way, and they were worrying about all the usual things. When the bottom dropped out of life as we knew it, people reached out to see what they could grab a hold of that would be sturdy and enduring, that would hold them up and help them get through. And I think for a lot of people, that was a spiritual community. And my own sense is that people are going to be more interested in 
paying attention to the spiritual side of life because the awareness that spirituality and spiritual practice builds resilience, it builds a sense of purpose, it gives us a way to understand our lives and our world that makes it meaningful. I think that this could lead to a real renaissance in people's embrace of spiritual communities like yours and like Mm -hmm. mine. What do you think about the role of the churches and these big buildings that we have? Do you think they will still hold a purpose, or will we be evolving and looking at it in a different light? Will coming together be more a virtual experience and meeting at a different level? Because from what we're hearing in terms of the statistics, it's going to take another few months to see how the virus sort of cools down and doesn't have the impact of the spread that it has had in the last two to three months. What are your thoughts about our buildings? There are so many buildings that are closed. Maintaining them closed and you know how we are. The life in a building is what we thrive. We live for that. We love that energy. But now that the buildings don't really have that, how are you feeling regarding that? Well, that's a good question. I was just on a Zoom conference yesterday with my board of trustees discussing precisely that. Our very large building, which is closed and is very expensive to maintain. So this question is front and center in my mind. My sense is that as long as human beings have bodies, our bodily experience is going to be extremely important to us. And as long as we are the kind of creatures we currently are, I don't expect that to change, our physical experience is going to be very important to us, which is the ability to hug someone, the ability to gather together in a common space is going to remain important. So I don't anticipate sanctuaries, temples, mosques, other spiritual gathering places disappearing. I think what will happen, and it's already happening, is that we can extend the physical space by using digital means. And in my own congregation, I know that there are some members who are at higher risk who are not going to come back into the sanctuary until there's a vaccine that's in wide use. And that's probably a year from now. So whatever else we do, we are going to have to include those people in our community in some active and intentional way. So instead of recognizing that we don't need buildings anymore, I think what will happen is that we will realize that it's not an either or, that we can gather and be really present to each other and for each other as bodies that have breath in them and life in them but that we don't have to limit our interaction to the times we're together, that we can open ourselves up by reaching out to other means in a way that kind of substitutes for being together when we can't be. And it's not a bad substitute. I mean, I think a lot of people have been surprised at how meaningful the programming that our congregation and others have been offering during this period of time. 
but I don't think ultimately that it will prove satisfying to do only that. I still yeah. think we'll need buildings. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing how it's all going to unfold, especially because I think this is a huge shift in the way we see ourselves and see each other as a culture. I've loved our conversation. When I'm up to New York next, I'll definitely like to come and give you a visit after all of this is cleared up. I would love that. Me too. I would definitely love that. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners before we end the show today? Just to thank you and them for inviting me into your day and into your community. It's a deep honor. And just to say that I think the reason spiritual practice is so essential is Mm -hmm. because not only does it make life wonderful and joyful when times are good, but that it gives us a way to remain strong and resilient and compassionate to ourselves and others when tough times come. So I hope we can all remember that this is vital work that we're doing, and it's important that we make it a priority every day. I think that was beautiful and absolutely well said. Thank you so much for joining us on air today, and let's keep posted and lots of blessings and good wishes. Thank you, Sister Jenna. It's been a joy to be with you, and blessings to you and your community as well. Thank you so much, Reverend Genrich. Have a wonderful time and love to the family. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Heartfelt conversation with Reverend Gallen Genrich, Senior Minister of All Souls Unitarian Church. And I really encourage you to go to their website and also look out for sustaining them economically. You know, even I do these regular ongoing donations to groups and organizations that I love, and even though we're nonprofit and we need donations, it doesn't mean that if I can even spare a few dollars every month and if 1,000 or 10,000 or 100,000 people do the same, then organization and institutions like All Souls, they'll stay open. Whenever all of this blows over, we still like to congregate. We're still a social group of people. So please go to their website at allsouls-nyc. Dot org to find out more information about Reverend Galing Ginrich. I hope you liked our conversation today, and we'd just like to remind you that no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And we really are here to love each other the same, so we need to do that more and more. We have the good news that Teda and John Legend's new album is out. I'm in the video. They've just released it, so you'll see me dancing up a storm next to them all, and It was a very large group of many, many celebrities and important folks in the world that are doing some really good work. And what they're doing is putting a lot of the proceeds towards Feeding America, which is a nonprofit. So please go to my Twitter page at America Meditate. Enjoy watching the video. (laughs) And don't laugh too hard. (laughs) All right, I'm going to play.